Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. There, there's never a situation where it is okay for you to accept um, disrespect or dehumanization in these types of conversations. And I, I wanted to give people a tool that they could actually use to, to, to defend themselves, to stand up for themselves, to advocate for what they believed in, in a powerful type of way. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. It is my thrill, my honor, my pleasure to welcome one of my dearest friends, one of my absolute favorite people on the planet, my friend Kwame Christian, who is a superstar negotiator and absolutely a a crazy, amazing, amazing accomplished guy. Uh, He has, I think, probably the top negotiation podcast. I haven't looked lately, but I'm sure it probably is the top negotiation podcast. And he is the director of the American Negotiation Institute. And he has, he trains people on negotiation and conflict resolution. He is He's all over LinkedIn. If you haven't checked in his LinkedIn profile, it's it's absolutely incredible. He's got amazing content over there all the time. Every time I look, it's really, really fascinating. And he's super fun, just fun to follow over there. And he's always talking about his son and really cool stuff there. You can follow him on, on Instagram as well. And he's an attorney. He's also got a master's degree in psychology and just all around really, really great guy. And he's got a brand new book all about how to have difficult conversations around race, which we are going to be talking all about. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kwame, for joining me. It is my pleasure, Rebecca. It's good to be back. It's uh, it's been too long, and uh, yeah, this is this is great. Long time coming, but I, I'm a big fan of the work that you do, and I'm just really glad to be able to share this platform with you today. Oh, I it's my honor and my pleasure because, you know, we had a conversation about race back when the whole race thing blew up a couple years ago. And, you know, I, I actually wanted to have the conversation with you because it was, you know, the whole stop Asian hate thing was going on at the time. And as, you know, a lot of people don't know or, or maybe aren't aware that I'm half Asian and was bullied a lot as a kid for being Asian. And so it's something that I still have a, a lot of sensitivity about. And so, you know, when that was happening, 
you and I started to talk about racism and, you know, you've got a TED talk out there about how to have difficult conversations, which is, I don't know, 50 billion gazillion views. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, so it's, it's, Interesting that, you know, you have this book now, How to Have Difficult Conversations Around Race, because I think it's important. You know, it's it's always that elephant in the room, right? You know, people sort of dance around it. Um, and I I think, you know, they don't, they're not really quite sure how to have the conversation sometimes, or they, they see things that... I think are, they don't even realize are offensive, I think, sometimes, you know? So talk about why you wrote the book, how it came up, you know, the whole, you know, your background. Let's get into it. Yeah, I think you, you'd like this story. So in 2020, like you said, you, you referenced the last time we talked, it was that time. And um I was, I was avoiding the conversation about race. I didn't want to get involved because I did civil rights work before transitioning into business law and um, mediation and conflict resolution and then starting the American Negotiation Institute. And so the civil rights work completely burnt me out emotionally, couldn't do it anymore. And I went as far away from it as possible. So I stopped watching the news and I even would block or unfollow people on social media that posted anything political or anything race related, whether or not I agreed with them. And this includes somebody named Whitney Christian, who is my wife, uh, still is my wife. We were good. I was just like, Whitney, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any of this. But in 2020, I was trying to use my ostrich technique like I was before, and it wasn't working. It was just becoming really hard to avoid. And then when he had a difficult conversation with me, she said, Kwame, you're always telling people to have these difficult conversations. And how would it look for you and your followers um, if you are avoiding this difficult conversation, especially the fact that I'm Black, especially the fact that I'm, I specialize in negotiation and conflict resolution. So I'm uniquely qualified to talk about it. So it was really her conversation with me that got me off the sidelines and, and back into the game, but focusing on specifically the skill set required to have this tough conversation. And my thought process is I want to be where the hardest conversations are. I want to be able to provide people with guidance and helpful frameworks for having these difficult conversations so we can make the better the world a better place. And our motto at the American Negotiation Institute is we believe the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And so my goal is to help to make the world a better place one difficult conversation at a time. Mm, mm, I love that. Oh. So, you know, I think that sometimes the most difficult conversations are the ones that we have to have with people that we think are bullies, right? I mean, and I mean, because you you don't want to have to have a difficult conversation with somebody that you think is, that you're afraid of. Can you talk about that? Oh, it's tough. I mean, we we have to. And it's it's really tough in these situations because not only might you, you you might be afraid of the person, but you might also be afraid of the topic too. 
it's a sensitive topic. And then especially if you're up against somebody who has a very domineering, narcissistic type of personality, it feels especially painful if you're struggling in these types of conversations. And I remember I, I cited you. You Thank you again for endorsing the book. And I, I cited you, Negotiate Like You Matter, and the framework in this book, right? And if I'm recalling correctly, you and you are the expert here. You tell me if I'm off. But the M is my value is determined by me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we cannot put ourselves in a position where somebody is diminishing us in these conversations. And so there, there's never a situation where it is OK for you to accept um, disrespect or dehumanization in these types of conversations. And I, I wanted to give people a tool that they could actually use to 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 defend themselves, to stand up for themselves, to advocate for what they believed in, in a powerful type. And again, when you think about conversations about sensitive issues. Of course, the book is about race, but you could really swap in any type of sensitive issue. Um, When these conversations come up, a lot of times the skills go out the window. Most people aren't trained lawyers and negotiators. And so I want to make sure that we're making these skill-based conversations so you actually know what to do in the conversation, what to say in the conversation how to approach it. And in the book, we were really mindful about putting a lot of examples in the book. We wanted to actually have conversations. And, um, you know, I don't say this explicitly, but a lot of those conversations are conversations I actually had (laughs) with people. Mm. So they're real conversations. But I wanted to help them to understand how these, these skills actually work and what they look like in action. So really excited about the way it turned out. Yeah. And... You know, you you talk about some, you know, common psychological barriers, for example. And, and I think that a lot of times people have common psychological barriers to any kind of difficult conversation, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be about race. It could be about anything. So how do you get over those? Well, it depends on which one. Of course, you see, I'm a lawyer. I have to say it depends, (laughs) of course. And it depends on what kind of barrier we're talking about, because sometimes it's race related trauma. And so using your story as an example, if you've been bullied as a child because of your race, I mean, that that is a serious burden. That's a serious baggage. That might be something where therapy is required to help you to overcome that. Um, Some it might just be I had a really tough conversation that didn't go well. And or maybe I saw somebody who's close to me getting canceled for sharing a view that I thought was completely okay. Whatever it is, we are all carrying some level of baggage into the conversation where we have to go through a little bit of introspection and self-exploration to figure out what that baggage is and address that before we have those conversations. And then when you think about it just in general, we're not even thinking about trauma or anything traumatic or anything like that bias is going to come up. And we have to think about the different biases that might exist. And I think a lot of times the the conversations we have about biases are are too limited. So we say bias is bad, everybody's racist, and the world is like a really bad place. (laughs) And so we have to go a little bit deeper. And so my methodology for addressing bias is, is very different because, again, I want to approach this from a skills perspective. And I want people to feel empowered by the book because a lot of times we think about the science of bias and how things are kind of stacked against us. And it 
it holds it holds us back from even engaging in the conversations that we need to have. But if we start to think about bias as a strategic consideration and understanding what biases might be in front of us and then what strategic approach we can use to overcome those biases, now we can be empowered. Now we can look at the conversation a little bit differently and circumvent some of those biases. And so one of the things that I, I talk about that can actually be um, that I thought was going to be controversial, but thankfully <laughs> was uh, appreciated, is thinking about positive biases and how we can use those in our favor. So I tell a story about my wife, who's a doctor, and us going to uh, her maternity visits for our second son, Dominic. And so when we're having those conversations with the doctors and everything, in my mind, as somebody who did civil rights in the past, who was focused on health equity, I'm just thinking about the studies about how black women and people of color are mistreated in the medical system and how that has a negative impact on birthing outcomes. And so I know that is a bias that often exists against people of color. And so for what I want to do is I want to think about the affiliate, the affiliation bias, right? The affinity bias. So this is the bias where we say, I, I see you as somebody who is like me. And so since you are like me, I like you, right? And so whenever we were going to these, these wellness checks, I would always find a way to sneak in the fact like, oh yeah, Whitney's a doctor. And then you'd see their eyes light up like, oh, yes, you're a medical professional just like me. And they would warm up in those interactions. And so it's one of those interesting things where you could actually say, OK, I understand that there's a bias against me. But I also understand with the psychology of bias, I can trigger positive biases in my favor to, to work to nullify those. And so those are a little bit of the, the psychological principles that I introduced in the book. Mm. But isn't it interesting that like only when they hear that do they change how they're going to shift, you know, how they would treat her, right? Exactly. And that, and that's the thing. I, I was doing this training um, for, the, uh, for Ohio State's medical center too, and I, I brought up that example. And I, I realized, you know, it's, it's touchy because I have to recognize I'm a lawyer, Whitney's a doctor, we have privilege, right? Um, and that's real. The, the fact that she is a medical professional, that's a type of privilege as well. And my thing is, I want to think strategically and think about what the end goal is. What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? And then what is it that gets me there? Because a lot of times it will require us doing not something that is unethical, but something that makes us not feel that great. Like de demonstrating a little bit of emotional restraint in a conversation where you're talking about a very serious issue, where you feel like there might be injustices at play. That's tough. It doesn't feel good to do that. But then if we take a step back and think strategically about what our overall big picture goal is, um, fighting for justice, equity, inclusion, whatever it might be, then we re recognize sometimes we have to sacrifice a little bit of that comfort in order to uh, achieve the greater good in that moment. Mm, yeah. So, you know, what would be the first step in some in your framework then? as far as like how to have that difficult conversation, you know, it, it, you know, with somebody who's feeling that fear. Did you know that Americans spend more than 90% of their time indoors and that in some cases, indoor air can actually be more polluted than outdoor air and that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths across the world every year. Airborne allergens are the most common allergy triggers such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. 
We are so happy to introduce an air purifier that captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens so that your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor is amazing and it comes with no questions asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctor.com and use the promo code Your Best Life. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 40% off. You're saving up to 40% off. Lock in this special offer by going to AIR. D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com and use the promo code Your Best Life. Yeah, so I, I have the compassionate curiosity framework and this is my approach for all of difficult, all of the difficult conversations we have, whether it's business, personal work or home. So it works in the context of diversity, equity, inclusion, in difficult conversations about race, but it also works in negotiations with Kai. Well, I'm sure we'll find a reason to pop into this <laughs> this interview at some point, right? And so your seven-year-old, he's referring to his adorable seven-year-old who's like, I do, I I, honestly, he's the the, the cutest thing ever. (laughs) Thank you. I I realize he's like the only reason people follow me on social media. (laughs) 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 But yeah, so it's three steps. So we have first acknowledge and validate the emotion. Second, get curious with compassion. And then third, joint problem solving. And the the it's designed to be infinitely flexible. So you know what to say and when to say it for maximum impact. So if there's an emotional barrier, so for example, fear, we'll acknowledge and validate that in order to calm them down. Then we get curious with compassion, asking open-ended questions with a compassionate tone. And then we'll work with them to try to figure out what the relationship looks like going forward and how to solve the problem. But the, the cool thing about the framework is that it's also designed as a tool for introspection, um, emotion management, and bias reduction, too. I did a training earlier today on how you could use this as a tool to slow your own thought process down, acknowledge some biases that you might have, and then use this framework to overcome those biases in the moment so you can make better decisions. Mm. I love that. I, I actually was just watching an interview with somebody recently, and they were saying that that you know there was a uh, brain. This uh, it was a neurosurgeon that was saying of all of the skills that human beings could have, that emotional management, like being able to manage your emotions, is probably the number one most important skill that a human being could have. <laughs> and I was like thinking, you know, that's probably true. You know, if you think about it, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that? I think it's it's spot on because one of the most impressive um, organs in the world is the, like is the human brain. It's incredibly it's incredibly incredibly complex, right? Even when you compare it to, for example, a supercomputer, just in the complexity of the neural networks, like the brain is fascinating, and we we we're still trying to replicate that in in technology, and we've been at it for decades, centuries, right? It's an incredibly impressive organ. Now, here's the thing: if we are emotional, our brain isn't working right. That's the thing. So he, the the surgeon is absolutely correct because when you think about the emotions, 
the emotions come from our amygdala, both positive and negative emotions come from our amygdala. And the thing is there's an antagonistic relationship between the amygdala and the frontal lobe. So the frontal lobe is where we have our prefrontal cortex. And this is where we have executive function, logical reasoning, emotion management, essentially the highest level functioning is there. I just wrote all about this in my new book, by the way, that limbic system, once once that limbic system takes over, you are not in control. (laughs) You're done, right? So it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you're emotional, you're kind of dumb in the moment, right? And so I think it's important to be humble enough to recognize that in yourself, because it's easy for us to see it in other people. Ah, that person is all mad. They're all crazy. Now they can't think straight excuse me, it's happening to you too. <laughs> it's the same framework. And so that's why it's so important for, for me to include that into these types of books, because it's like, okay, we can't assume rationality in others, nor can we assume rationality in ourselves. So we have to have some kind of framework and methodology in place in those moments so we can resume control of our, of our minds during these tough conversations. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zahn. It reminded me of what you talked about, where my value is defined by me. I, we have to do some internal work to make sure that we're seeing our own value, because that's where it starts. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day? But according to the EPA, it's two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and it's sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. I know for us and our family, our family has struggled with allergies to dust mites and mold and all sorts of things. And that's why we have loved using an air purifier. And Air Doctor has been amazing for us. And it has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. And it filters out 99.9% of dangerous contaminants such as allergens and pollen and pet dander and all sorts of bacteria and viruses so that your lungs don't have to. And it's super quiet and much more quiet than other ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use your promo code, Your Best Life. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value, lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code YourBestLife. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly 
exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bestlife to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bestlife. Back to school season is coming up, which can be difficult for those going through a divorce, especially when child safety is a concern. And here in Negotiate Your Best Life, my mission is definitely one to help divorce couples prepare, especially when narcissists are involved. And as you all know, I've partnered with Soberlink for a long time. And Soberlink is a system which helps with alcohol monitoring. It includes a breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to receive real-time updates and help co-parent so that, you know, monitoring can be involved anytime, anywhere, swift intervention to improve child safety. And they're offering free packets right now. Go grab them. They've got checklists, communication tips, and more. Get your free packet right now. Soberlink.com forward slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. When the attack began, our first reaction was to lie down and be steamrolled over until the queries were exhausted. But through your program, I finally learned to push back without being abusive. And now we return to today's show. But you know, here's the thing though. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. <laughs> you challenged me when I was on yours, so I'm going to challenge you on mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so with a narcissist, uh, what I have learned is that as children, they were constantly exposed to some level of trauma. You know, with the fight, flight, or freeze, what happens is the brain emits the hormones, the chemicals that causes this fight, fight, flight, or freeze response. And what happens is children, you know, if they they were in this trauma response a lot, that their brains actually, that limbic system 
was almost in permanent damage, right? And so what happens as adults is that even though that prefrontal cortex may be developed in certain areas, that emotional Mm. response doesn't get, they, they don't really mature. And so when certain, when they are presented with certain stimuli that reminds them of that, that narcissistic rage takes over, they are triggered and they immediately then respond. And Mm. that's why they are actually incapable of being able to negotiate in ways that a normal, regular, reasonable person can negotiate. And and it's literally about 15% of the population. And so you cannot negotiate with them in the same way that you can a regular, reasonable person. So if you, you know, whether it's a a race conversation or any other difficult kinds of conversation, what do you do? What you do is you buy Rebecca Zung's new book. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, it's such an important point, though. It is such an important point. And I'm glad that you made it because the there is an assumption, an underlying assumption in my book and every single other negotiation and conflict resolution book out there that you're dealing with somebody who is not a narcissist. But I, I it's it it is always I always appreciate our conversations because you keep on reminding me of that 15%, 15%, 15%. That is a that is a sizable proportion. Like that's pretty significant. Pretty significant, right? And so one of the things that we have to recognize is we have to be willing to understand when these approaches don't work. So we can't be rigid and dogmatic in our approach and say, I'm going to use this no matter what. No, we can't because with some people, it just won't work. And in those types of situations, it needs a completely different approach. And so what I do is I give people the benefit of the doubt as long as it makes sense. And I will give you an opportunity to operate under this assumption that you are not part of that 15%. Mm-hmm. But after a certain amount of time, I've compiled enough data to then make a reasonable guess. <laughs> you might be part of that 15%. And now I'm going to need to use a more power-based strategy where I'm focused on standing my ground. And I kind of have to say to myself, Kwame, in this conversation, it's not going to be fun. It is going to be exceptionally difficult. Uh, and this is the challenge that you're going to have to rise to during the conversation. You're going to have to kind of have that workmanlike mentality where I'm going to have to defend myself and it's going to be tough. But I think a lot of it comes down to mindset where you have to say to yourself, this is going to be one of those times where I'm going to have to stand up for myself and it's going to be really tough. But the only person that is responsible for taking care of myself in this conversation is me. And so I'm going to rise to the occasion in this situation. Yeah. But, you know, it goes back to where you started at the beginning, though, which is my my value is defined by me, you know, exactly. and 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 having that self-respect and and knowing who you are and knowing your power and knowing 
you know, they, the, your value is defined by you. Because I think that that is where it always starts. Absolutely. That's where it has to start. That's where it has to start. And I, I heard somebody def- describe it in a really interesting way. He taught um, self-defense classes. And what he would do at the beginning of the class is he would take like a hammer. And so he would have something that was of little value and he would go and raise the hammer and nobody would respond. And then he'd crush the thing and people would say, Oh, but not a big response. And then he would take a laptop and then he would raise the hammer and then people would say, Oh wait, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. What are you doing? And he's like, all right, lesson number one, you will defend things that you value. And so the first lesson of self-defense is that you have to believe in your own value or else you won't find yourself worthy of defense, right? And I thought that was a really interesting lesson. It reminded me of what you talked about where my value is defined by me. I, we have to do some internal work to make sure that we're seeing our own value because that's where it starts. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, and of course, you can have compassion for the other person. You always can do that. Um, absolutely, you know, but, um, but, you know, you, you stand in your power and I tell people don't defend yourself because when you defend, you're actually saying that there's an issue. You're actually saying that, you know, you're, you're giving it credence in a way. I mean, you know, you can explain, you can you can, you know, have a conversation, but you don't defend. You know, Rebecca, now that you say that, it's really funny thinking back to our our sparring session. So um, for the listeners, we have on the podcast, Negotiate Anything, we we had a sparring session. And so for me, it's really fun because I get to be absolutely preposterous. And (laughs) (laughs) What's so funny is that he's so not a narcissist and he's trying to be a narcissist. And so he's like so awkward in being a narcissist. I was trying (laughs) so hard. (laughs) Hilarious. My employees were looking at me. They were like, "Who? Who is this guy?" He's trying to act all like he's like he's egotistical, and he's it's so awkward and funny. (laughs) Oh man, it was funny. But one thing, like no matter what I said to you, you just. There was just no response. I, I just wanted, to, I was just trying so hard to get you mad. And there was just no response. It's hilarious. <laughs> There's no response. It's just the most hilarious thing ever. <laughs> that was that was definitely my favorite one because I I tried very hard to be outside of who I am. And it just, it was ineffective. But what was effective was just how calm you were under the situation. Right. And, and the show, and now like listening to what you're saying now, it makes a lot of sense because there, you, you never allowed yourself to get caught up in the mudslinging, in the name calling, in the accusations. And it was frustrating for me in my character uh, to see that my, my insults and my aggression was, was having no effect. It was brilliant. Well, not to say that it never gets under my skin, though. Believe me, it's just like so many years of litigation. I mean, and which I will never, ever go back to, <laughs> ever. 
<laughs> I mean, I could be like under a bridge. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like, it was, yeah, no, God forbid I ever have to. I mean, you know, but um, so tell us more about your book. Let's talk more about your book and how to have difficult conversations around race. And, um, you know, let's let's talk more about how to be an advocate for positive change. Let's talk more about that. Yes. So toward the end of the book, we talk, start to talk about how we can use these skills in a more targeted way. Yes. Right. And so the, uh, the thing is with the book, I had to limit it to the workplace, uh, because if I didn't, uh, the, the book would never be done. <laughs> there are just too many things to talk about. And so how can we be an advocate? How can we be an ally within our workplace? Right. And so an advocate is somebody who actually pushes in favor of something. We're moving in a direction at this point. So we have a target, we identify an injustice, we identify something that needs to change. And now what we're going to do is we're going to come up with a strategy to try to make that happen. And when we think about any type of movement that has ever occurred in humanity, it starts with conversations. It starts with conversation. We cannot move and in a unified type of way without communicating in some type of way. And one of the things that's often challenging, surprisingly challenging, is that people who seem to be on your side will disagree with some of your methodologies for your approach. And this is just how you, this happens all the time. Humans will disagree. And I think a lot of times people are not ready for that disagreement internally within their ranks. And they're saying, oh, well, no, we need to rage against the system. We need those are the bad guys over there. These are the things that need to change. And then they let their guard down and they don't utilize the conversational topics from the book with people who are on their team. Right. So I think that's really important to recognize that this diplomatic and uh, negotiation focused approach should be utilized in all conversations, even with people who you agree with in the big picture. So we have to reconcile those differences. Um, the next thing is we need to identify the inequities or problems within our workforce and workplace and then try to make changes within those. And we have to bring the data and the negotiation skills to the table in order to do that. But we also have to think strategically about who else we need to have on our team. Like one person has a but a limited amount of political capital. And so the more people that we can recruit to move in this direction, the more effective you'll be. And so it was really fun for me to to kind of get a little bit more tactical uh, towards the end. It's like, hey, OK, everybody, I, I know I sounded like a super nice guy at the, at the beginning, but lest we forget I am a lawyer. <laughs> and so now now we're about to get stuff done. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean especially, uh, you know, as a person of color myself, and I've been in those situations, you know, before, I, you know, this is such, such an important and, and it's, uh, you know, I feel like it's such an important topic, such a critically important topic. Now, I feel like in my lifetime, I've seen it sort of ebb and flow. Like, I feel like it's gotten worse and then better and then worse again. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's time to have this conversation again, you know, and you and I have sort of been, you know, partners in this conversation a couple of, a couple of times now. And, you know, I'm glad that we keep it alive. I, I'm glad that we're having this conversation again. You know, it's not something that I normally talk about, you know, I, I feel like 
you know, as I said, I, it, you know, before, I don't know if it was before we got on the air or while we've been on the air, but, you know, narcissists are, are, are bullies in, in, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, and, um, and, and I think sometimes racists can be bullies, um, you know, and, you know, I think that they're, in a lot of ways, um, cowards. Um, racists can be cowards. And so uh, I know the ones that ended up bullying me always were. Yep. Um, and, you know, I didn't see that as a kid. I certainly see that now. Uh, and so, you know, had I had the little kid version of myself seen that, I, I it wouldn't have affected me at all. It, it did then you know, as the grown-up version of me can look back and, and see that now. But, you know, now I look at it and I go, oh, God, you know, whatever. But it's still an important conversation that we have to have. And, and you know, I think, I think even for people who are racist, the worst racists, once they get to know people as people— they they go well, but not that one. <laughs> you know, it's it's so crazy, you know, but it still happens yet. I don't know. Yeah, you're you're right. It's um, I, I in the book I talk about Daryl Davis, who's a, a black man who has converted over 200 members of the Ku Klux Klan mm -hmm. to pronounce their beliefs. Yeah. And that's one of the things that they, he, that was really interesting because essentially as they started to get to know him, there became that cognitive dissonance. But I thought black people were like this, but he is not like that. Is he the only one who is like that? Oh, he invited a friend. Oh my gosh, my head is exploding, right? And so one of the things that was interesting about his approach is that he would, um, he, he didn't go in with the intent of converting or changing people's mind. He just wanted to understand. He's like, how can you hate me if I don't, if you don't even know me? He wanted the answer to that question. Mm. And so he just sat there and was curious, just asked questions. And even the, the grand wizard of the KKK, like the ultimate leader became his friend. And now the, uh, the KKK there, uh, Robert Kelly was his name. And he had a, a, a daughter and now uh, Daryl Davis is the godfather of the daughter. So they're like family now. It's incredible, mm -hmm. right? And it just shows the power of communication. And you're right. There, there's a cowardice that comes with an unwillingness to even take the time to understand and see somebody else, else's humanity. Because what are you afraid of? You're afraid of being confronted with the reality that you might be wrong. Because everything that I've, taught, I've been taught my whole life said this. I need to act like that. I need to treat these people this way. But then if I change that belief system, then who am I? And that's one of the things that makes racism and just race in general su such a touchy subject because it comes down to identity and morality. Who am I? What does it mean to be like me? What do people like me do? Um, morality. What does it mean to be a good or a bad person? And so those people who are racist, who are bullying you on the playground, are, who are in, in the KKK, they somehow have a twisted reality where even though they are doing these horrible things, they're not bad people. 
And so it's very scary to them to admit, hey, if I change my beliefs, then that means that I'm a bad person. But not just that, that means that everybody that I know, everybody who I went to church with, went to school with, who believe that they're all bad people too. And so the consequences of change are a lot deeper than than what it seems like. It's not just a simple, here's some facts, here's some data, here's some statistics, here's some science. It's it's much more than that. And so the, our approach needs to be a lot deeper and that's what makes it so tough. Mm-hmm. You know, I often think about um, ants, you know, when I, looking down at ants and you, you see like red ants or black ants and, you know, and, and, and you, you see all these different ants. And if you saw like different ants, like excluding other ants, you'd look at them and go, you know, you're all ants, right? Right. And, and you, you'd be looking at them like, you, you're crazy. <laughs> 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 I know it's, it's hilarious. It's yeah. Hilarious. I mean, because you know what made me think of it is like, um, you know, one of my husband's best friends happens to be, you know, African American, and and he said, "Oh, it's going to take us being invaded by aliens." Like, because if we were all, you know, fighting against. A, a different species or a different planet or whatever, then we'd all band together, you know? And so it made me think of like, if we were all looking down at ants, like we'd be like thinking, you know, you're all ants. Like, this is crazy. You know, I don't know. It's just <laughs> You're so right. And I think that speaks to the tribal nature of humanity because <laughs> we, we can't see the world in a way where there aren't, there isn't some level of separation. Yeah, you go to a place where everybody is um, racially the same. There's still separations. We'll find different ways to to separate ourselves. This is the tribal mentality. It's ridiculous. It really is. So it's uh, but, you know, that's the brain. That's the brain we've been (laughs) we've been given collectively. It's challenging. You're going to think of the the red ants and the black ants. Well, um, so where can people find out more about you, your book? Where can they get it? Uh, Tell us more about you. So, yes, check out AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. That's where you can find everything about the podcast, Negotiate Anything, the book, um, both books. I have Finding Confidence in Conflict and also How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race. And follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, Like you said, I try to post something every every single day, trying to think outside the box about um, negotiation, conflict resolution and and life life in general. But yeah, I just uh, I appreciate this invite. I appreciate you. Thank you for being such a, a great supporter and advocate of, of the work that we do. And thanks for the work that you do. Because again, I, I tell you this every single time we talk. It's just there's not enough content out there on how to negotiate with narcissists, how to stand up against bullies and that type of stuff. So I appreciate your voice in the industry. It's very, very necessary. Uh, thank you. And definitely, please go follow him, go check him out on LinkedIn, follow him on Instagram, go check out his podcast, go get his book. 
Kwame is not only an incredible resource, but he's actually an incredible human being. He's just really, 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 he he walks the walk. He he talks the talk. He's really a, 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 a wonderful person, an incredible guy, a man of integrity, and I just absolutely adore him. So definitely go check him out and uh, follow him, get his stuff. And thank you so much, Kwame for being here and joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. 